Welcome to Innovation Destination, the podcast channel for supply chain industry professionals. This episode is part of our Executive Perspective series, where we will hear from the C-suite of the electronics and manufacturing industry. Here's your host, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Connect, Tyler Fussner. Drog, thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me here, Tyler. And if you could please introduce yourself to our audience. Yeah, sure. Thank you. I'm Chirag Modi from Blue Yonder. My role here at Blue Yonder is industry strategy. I'm a corporate vice president covering our supply chain execution portfolio of solutions, which is primarily around warehousing, transportation, order management related items. And our customers include the who's who in the industry for among manufacturers, retailers, and logistics service providers. Well, Jarag, I'm very excited to speak to you today, especially about the the convening of the new White House Council on Supply Chain Resilience, um, during which the Biden administration announced new actions that are going to be taking place that would help strengthen America's supply chains, lower costs, secure key sectors. Can you kind of provide us an overview of what exactly is being promised and, and how is it going to impact the supply chain industry? Yeah, no, this is a pretty big initiative, uh, Tyler. If I were to put this in the perspective of, you know, where we were before versus what it would look like post this announcement and the effort to make things work. If you were to step back for a second, you know, the efficiency aspect, if you will, within the manufacturing supply chain, distribution supply chain, we as a, as an industry, we've invested a lot of time and energy into making manufacturing very efficient tons and tons of automation, a lot of efficiency gains in there, you know, a lot of times, of course, outsourcing it to different countries, et cetera. All of those pieces have gained a lot of efficiency in that chain, which has led into reducing the price for those parts, services which we buy. However, when you think about warehouses, transportation sector, those sectors tend to be a little bit on the lag, if you will, in terms of automation and other aspects. So what that does is the efficiency aspect there is not as high as what it would be in a typical manufacturing environment. By doing a mandate like what my White House is coming out with, it is a recognition that the inflationary measures to reduce some of that inflation numbers, it would make sense to invest a lot more time in supply chain resiliency, as they're calling it, which is also a very standard industry term now post-COVID, how do you make this better so that the inflation numbers are controlled? How do you make this more efficient by investments from different angles, et cetera? Disruptions perspective. So uh, I think this is a, this is a pretty big deal in my view. Absolutely. Yeah. I think supply chain is in a new spotlight ever since COVID, like you had touched on. We've, it's gotten a lot more attention and the goal seems to be, again, as you said, to obtain that resiliency. Included in the announcement that uh, the White House made uh, were some proposed actions to support stronger supply chains, access to affordable, reliable energy, and critical technology. This included deploying new capabilities to monitor existing and emerging risks, as well as a promise to engage the public and private stakeholders to expand supply chain risk modeling. So my question for you, what exactly are the sort of technologies that are going to be invested in to achieve these goals? Yeah, so when you think about the way they're defining risk is, you know, during COVID times, we had part shortage. The buzzword supply chain became a dinner table conversation. I've been 
doing work in supply chain industry for over 20 years. And I'll tell you, Tyler, uh, this was the first time my kids actually asked me what I do for a living. You know, my wife's like, oh, it looks like you're in the you're in the spotlight here and in a negative sense that a lot of those disruptions were leading into the conversations about how resilient our supply chain is or isn't. So when you think through all of those pressure points and the scale at which the problem has resurfaced, if you will, everybody looks at technology to solve those issues because technology is one tool, if you will, which can solve a lot of things at scale. Because if you're using a certain type of technology and if everybody's using it, it makes sense to kind of use that as a foundation for it. So the question then is, what, what is it that you want to use here? And there is no single answer here because the answer will vary based on the type of industry, the type of problems you're solving. For example, one of the items which is in the mandate here is um, around science and technology aspect of it. And some of the industries the White House has identified, semiconductor being one, which is in the spotlight for quite a while now, you know, there will be more onshoring activities there. And by keeping it close to the consumption point, there is less reliance on other partners. And that, those partners could be countries, could be manufacturers in different countries, could be shipping containers, could be airline vessels, all of those things. You have less reliance on those pieces because everything is, quote unquote, onshore. Other areas could very well be, let, let me give you an example of nasal swabs during COVID times. Before the time, there was really not as big of a need for nasal swabs. So the production for those items, there was only one big supplier in the U.S. And, you know, during that time, the need was you would have millions and millions of swabs needed. So how do you make your supplier base go wide? You're just not relying on one supplier, but you may end up having, you know, three, four or five suppliers for that matter. So this is also part and parcel of, quote unquote, being resilient, that you're not relying on just one supplier, but you may end up having supply base over three, four or five that if you want to tap into one and at that capacity is tapped out, then you have two, three and four to rely on. So the initiative here is really driven by making us more resilient and utilizing technology to make it resilient, uh, make us more resilient and use that as a way to reduce disruption and or reduce the cost. Yeah, it makes sense that uh, there's definitely going to be some varied technologies introduced uh, dependent on the industry, like you had said. But I think uh, yeah. speaking of buzzwords, artificial intelligence, AI, everyone has been talking about the introduction and integration of AI into their industries. Do you think there's going to be some investment there? And, and how do you see that uh, impacting the supply chain? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a million-dollar question there, Tyler. Yeah. So – is the technology there? Yeah, I mean, the technology is evolving very rapidly. Uh, when you think about how quickly Apple Mac computer took off back in the 80s, how Windows took off, technologies these days, they take off much, much faster than that. You know, they take off much faster because the awareness is there, the technology maturity is there. AI in particular has been around for some time. 
But then there are different levels of AI. You know, there is the most recent buzzword is around generative AI and large language models and all of those pieces. Those pieces are, you know, some of it you currently actually see when you type up your email in Gmail and how Gmail actually types up a few things predicting what you are about to write. That's AI. So some of these things have already been in practice for a while. But then when you're trying to solve a bigger problem, much like what we are describing here on this podcast right now, those things do take some time. They are going to take some time for building out. They are going to take some time for adoption, if you will. But the opportunity is there. The opportunity is there for AI to take over certain tasks, repetitive tasks, if you will, much like how we automated a lot of physical handling of goods with repetitive tasks by robots and conveyors and things like that, you will still have business processes-driven tasks, which AI can do. And that's really the opportunity we all have, you know, within supply chain space. And that's really something which we as Bluyander, we are trying to make it, you know, as part and parcel of the tools and the solutions which we are developing. So like one of the tools, Tyler, which we could talk about is uh, supply chain planning. You know, when you start thinking about integrated demand and supply planning for manufacturers, those who have finite manufacturing capacity, how do you decide how many products, what products, what SKUs you're making in what economic order quantity uh, at which of the plants uh, across your two, three, four different plants you may have in your portfolio? So some of those functionalities we have built in already as part and parcel of the AS solution itself. But then there are further maturity levels and applications which we are adding in, and we're calling it cognitive uh, demand planning. And essentially what it is is it's looking at forecasts, not just from the standpoint of uh, your old demand forecast, but also looking at a bunch of other factors which are tied closely with external variables such as weather patterns, such as transportation delays, such as labor disruption. And so how do you account for some of that utilizing artificial intelligence tools, some machine learning algorithms? Those are the applications which we are building on right now. And, you know, honestly, we are just starting to roll some of those things out, primarily for manufacturing customers for now. And then next year, we'll be looking to do the same for retail customers. Well, it sounds like an exciting period for Blue Yonder, and I think it's an exciting time for the supply chain industry in general. Introducing these AI-integrated technologies, it's giving us the opportunity where we started the conversation of realizing those efficiencies, realizing those resiliencies that everyone is striving for. That is one of the metrics, Tyler, that all the CSCOs, they have been tasked with. All of the metrics for CSCOs in the past, uh, chief supply chain officers, have driven around, you know, customer service levels, cost, fill rates, you name it, right? All of those different pieces. But one of the biggest items now which has been added on their list is how resilient is our supply chain? How much can we, you know, manage the disruption? How many redundancies do we have so that when a disruption of a certain nature comes in, whether it's a hurricane in the south or whether it's tornadoes in the in the central country, 
whatever those are, or new salmonella outbreak happening and you have to recall certain food items. How do you go through pieces like that? And how resilient are you to take on pieces of this nature or manage through these uh, disruptions? That's one of the items being added on CSCO's plate to measure, you know, how effective they have been. It is a pretty big deal, and that's also the reason why White House is actually getting involved in a more proactive way. So when you think through what the administration has done in the last couple of years in particular, we had uh, docks, you know, the ports, you know, strike, potentially strike happening there. That was averted. Uh, We had ports not working 24-7, so that was kept open on the western uh, ports for us. You know, earlier this year, we had some, you know, railroad strikes potentially happening, which was averted. And those were all done in a very, very reactive way. I think the mandate now is looking at this in a more proactive way. There's a big difference between what was done up until now versus, you know, initiative from White House. And part of that initiative, they had promised some investments and capabilities to monitor existing and emerging risks. You know, that's kind of what we have to have a good handle on to realize that resiliency. I guess my question to you is what needs to be done and how do we get to a point where, you know, U.S. supply chain operators are able to identify potential vulnerabilities or threats and successfully navigate them? Yeah, so very, very good point there, Tyler. A simple way to look at this is every supply chain would have their own bottlenecks, if you will. Those bottlenecks, by definition, they will all be there. But the question really is, are they disruptive enough or are you? is this something you can manage through it? So case in point, a defense industry. There have been numerous articles and research done on a lot of defense contractors, tier two suppliers, and potentially to a certain extent, even in tier three supplier base. A lot of those are mom and pop businesses you know, built over years, but they don't necessarily have a good succession plan because they are more family-based businesses. So what happens with a tier two, tier three supplier for a critical component for a tier one supplier to a defense industry goes out of business? How do you backfill that capacity? Up until now, the focus minus some automotive companies, the focus has primarily been on tier one. So when you start looking at identifying bottlenecks, tier one may or may not be the bottleneck anymore because much of the focus has been on tier one suppliers. Now you've got to start focusing on tier twos and tier threes. But when you think about the number of suppliers you may end up having for tier twos and threes, the technology to measure that in an automated way, it's not there fully. The amount of computations you need to do in order to make that work for visibility into uh, manufacturing capacity or, you know, a a wired harness for an electronics industry, for example. You know, tier two supplier and their tier three suppliers, the number is just massive, massive. And the power you need in order to track this on an ongoing basis, the cloud capabilities you need for real-time data, all of those pieces are just not as mature. We are we are trying our level best right now, Tyler, but we are also limited by the delays, the lag time and data not being available and it's not being standardized and all of those pieces. We are also plagued by those same issues. 
so some of the focus areas for this investment here could very well go in funding some more technology to make it more scalable and more faster. Yeah, again, it's uh, it's exciting, right? It's uh, the problem-solving aspect of everyone sees what the solution should look like, where we want to get to, but right now these investments will be kind of playing in an open sandbox of understanding what technologies are going to work and how do we get there. Yeah, I think at a high level, everyone has an idea what technology they will be focusing on. The question would really be around particular use cases. So like, for example, they've been talking about, you know, rare earth metals, you know, building more capacity for rare earth metal mining and processing within the United States and Canada and, and U.S. allies. So that's that's an area which has already been identified. question really is more execution aspect of it. But then there are certain other industries or, or items like climate control and other pieces where the technology may be there, but it's probably not as scalable as you and I would like it to be. Or it's probably not as much in control of individual companies from tech perspective, and it's completely relying on, you know, a few major players in the market from from providing the basic data there. So how do you make it more affordable and more scalable so that pretty much every billion-dollar-plus enterprise or half a billion-dollar-plus enterprise can actually afford doing that work? Because right now the price point to enter there is not, you know, as conducive. So examples like that, I think, I think where we all have an idea on what tech we will start with, but that tech may or may not be as mature or as scalable, if you will. So how do you make it more scalable and affordable? We'll make things a little bit better for all industries. Chirag, I have maybe a, a wider scope question for you here with this initiative announcing, you know, near 30 planned actions that are going to be put into place and help strengthen and invest in our domestic supply chain. How does this impact, say, workers, also goods? You know, what do you really see as the outcome of such an initiative? Yeah, so I think like any initiative, we're not looking at this from reducing uh, jobs, right? The intent here is to improve the quality of existing jobs as well as scale the problem-solving aspect so that we all can become more efficient. Now, efficiency is a buzzword a lot of people use in order to say that, hey, I'm going to cut down the number of jobs. That's really not the intent based on what I've read so far. The intent here is to improve the quality of work we do so that the number of disruptions in the industry kind of go down and we can have much better quality of life, quality of work. And some technologies here may not even exist today, which means there is more opportunity to develop newer jobs. Much like anything else in AI and others, that industry is so concentrated right now with fewer players. The intent would be to open it up to more players so that it would make it a little bit better for a lot more to enter in and, and have more competition in that front. I think, you know, uh, an emerging technology like this where everyone is seeking solutions oriented with that technology, maybe it'll expedite uh, some of that. That's correct. Yeah, I mean, one uh, one small example, AI tech talent base, if you will. I think the last statistics I read was 75% or some extremely high number of uh, top talent in AI resides only within Google. 
given the amount of work they do, given the amount of data they're sitting on, they have been leveraging AI tech for a long, long, long time. And they have rolled out a lot of things as well. But that simply means how much of the work being done there is scalable for other industries like ourselves, right? So where you and I reside, Tyler, for serving our customers in manufacturing, retail, and logistics service provider space, how can you make it more scalable? Because all of them are not going to go straight to Google and, and ask for some more tech. They're going to rely on people, companies like ours, Blue Yonder, to make solutions for them, which incorporates those technologies. But right now, we are also relying on developing a lot of things in-house, but that also has a limit in terms of scalability, right? So some of these uh, programs here are going to actually help us with uh, scaling the tech and, and making it a little bit more affordable. Now, again, nothing will happen overnight. People will still need to execute on those programs. The money may be there, but somebody will need to drive those programs and hopefully make it better. I'm sure everyone is looking for, you know, something to just kind of plug into their operations and yes. and solve these problems for them. But uh, like you said, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's going to take some change in your practices, uh, maybe right. a different emphasis on uh, what data and how, how you're collecting and keeping that data. But there is a finish line in sight, right? We see where, where we can get to with uh, incorporating such technologies. You know, kind of a pivot on the conversation here. Part of the announcement from that Biden administration uh, initiative that, that was intriguing to me was the promise to help deepen engagement with allies and partners to strengthen global supply chains. Within that was the deepening of international early warning systems to help detect and respond to disruptions. I think that's certainly something that we wish we had during the COVID pandemic. Now, can you kind of speak to how the investments that are going to be made in the domestic supply chain are going to help strengthen our global operations? and? Maybe is there anything that stakeholders should anticipate with their international dealings of the near future? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Again, for anything and everything we do in this age is driven by data availability and how reliable that data is and how do we actually make it work with the analytics of understanding what that data is. Some of that analytics, we can put it to good use right away, utilizing AI and ML algorithms to make it more automated, but some, there may be some manual intervention needed. So what the the act here talks about is about working with the partners. Those partners are the ones who are providing some of that data, whether it's at a country level, like let's say Taiwan, for example, for what their capacity is, how much GDP they have, how many uh, transactions they did over the number of years in terms of capacity for, for doing certain work. All of those pieces uh, at a country level, all the way down to company level in each of the tech, whether it's semiconductor manufacturing or whether it's tier two supplier for an automotive company. Some of that data or majority of that data will go into the tools to make it make it a little bit better for all of us, a lot better for a lot of us to make decisions quickly on that. That's one way to address the partner question you had not just at a company level, but at a country level, because this is why the initiative is coming from White House, is because they're looking at this in a much bigger picture and saying, since this is important, we are going to get involved and make larger trade agreements, if you will. And those things will help us gain access to extra capacity, which we may or may not be able to build ourselves here in the amount of time uh, which we may need. 
That's one piece of it. The other piece is really just looking at contingencies. If we are not able to do certain things in the event, certain simulations may be run for certain disasters, natural disasters or an outbreak uh, such as what we saw with, uh, with COVID. In situations like that, if you were to run a simulation of real-life simulation there, you know, where are the bottlenecks we have been able to identify, whether it's during manufacturing time, whether it's uh, shipping containers not being available, whether the trucks not being available because we don't have enough drivers. And based on those simulations and the bottlenecks, they're making these investments w- within the supply chain area. And that's really when you see the one of the items they have listed is quadrennial supply chain review. This is the first time they're doing it at a at a government level like this. Nobody has done this at a higher level. And everybody recognized how important this was after COVID. And that's why this top-down initiative, if you will. And those reviews will identify those bottlenecks. And those bottlenecks may involve some agreements with the partners, uh, which you alluded to early on. And, and that's the reason why why it's important to kind of continue going on those lines at a much, much elevated level. Yeah, I think it's a good opportunity to maybe set the tone, so to speak, and, and get everyone on the same page of identifying what is important, the, the bottlenecks that need to be solved, what challenges That's need correct. to be overcome. Yeah, you can't solve, uh, you can't improve on things uh, which you don't know. Right. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the important part here is to identify the, I mean, there is probably already some uh, needs identified there. I mean, they're not going to launch something without identifying those needs. So there, there's certainly some ideas there. But while they are working on those ideas, there may be five other things they may uncover, which which may need their attention, right? So big picture question for you, taking a step yeah. back here. What's in store for the supply chain industry in 2024? I know there's no crystal ball. I know there's no way to tell the future, but what do you see on the horizon? Uh, is there anything that supply chain professionals should anticipate or prepare for? So 2024 may be a little too quick, Tyler, for seeing meaningful changes, material changes right away. However, you will start seeing some pilots in certain industries, you know, where the progress may be much quicker than the others. So the the defense and the semiconductor, those are the big areas. I can tell you there is definitely going to be some areas where you know, where there will be more changes, which is more visible. Are we able to solve truck driver shortage right away in 24? I don't, I don't believe that will happen. Those changes uh, do require generational shift and, and other training. So you're not going to see, you know, material changes in 24. Are the real estate prices going to go down uh, on industrial scale, you know, warehouses, manufacturing plants, et cetera, potentially? But that's more market-driven things than than anything else, right? Supply and demand-driven things. But at a higher level, I think the top two industries which they've identified, the chips, i.e. the semiconductors and the defense, you will definitely see some changes there in a positive light in terms of building more resiliency in those sectors. And say I'm listening to this conversation. I'm part of the, the domestic supply chain. I, I need to now incorporate some solutions into my operations. I, I want to get in with this movement of integrating technology and, and making sure I'm moving in the right direction. Yeah. How can I how can I partner with someone like Blue Yonder to make sure that I am operating successfully? Absolutely. Yeah, so we have our process uh, laid down pretty well, Tyler, where we come out and 
ask you a lot of these questions. So much like what White House is talking about, we have our own processes which are actually in sync with what they have listed in this act. Understanding the current current state process, figuring out where the bottlenecks are and how do you solve them and, and how fast you can solve them. So all your supply chain specific needs, we have solutions which talk through a bunch of different automations uh, and process automations, but also leaving some wiggle room for creativity. We will work with clients in each sector, depending on you know, their comfort level. We're able to help them out with completely automating a lot of processes through our solutions or only partly automating, depending on the change management at that uh, organization. Uh, so we, we have been already starting to work on those pieces, Tyler. Uh, with a lot of clients in the, um, in the supply chain planning space. And next year, we'll be doing something similar with our warehouse and transportation customers. Well, Chirag, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and expertise. And uh, thank you for taking the time. Well, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Tyler. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Innovation Destination. Follow us online at supplychainconnect.com or find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter to stay up to date on the latest supply chain industry news. Do you have any questions or is there a topic you would like us to cover in a future episode? Please contact us at editors at supplychainconnect.com. That's E-D-I-T-O-R-S at supplychainconnect.com.